Brando, it is getting very cold out. Yeah, have you uh have you been been out to see the ice, man? The ice is impressive right now because it's just been so cold. Wait a snap there, yeah. Yeah, that major snap. But it's not like the typical starts to freeze covered in snow, more snow, freezes more, more snow. You know, it's it's that cool, crystal clear ice out there. Well, yeah, when it freezes, you know, quick like that, uh, that's what that's what we get—the nice clear ice, which is kind of cool when you're ice diving. If you have people walk out on the ice, they can see you right underneath, and you can see them through it. It's kind of cool, right? It makes it difficult to run your traditional ice class. You know, where when you run an ice class, you're supposed to shovel off the pattern on the surface, you know, for the yeah. reference marks. So you go against, you know, traditional, I don't know if you want to call it standard in a way. You don't, you don't have that ability. You don't import snow in? I flew in uh, for that one class. I, I had to fly in a, a C- C-130 local, of snow. <laughs> yeah, we go down to the local hockey rink. Mm-hmm. Grab a bunch of Zamboni snow, and <laughs> spread it all over the top. A couple of pickup trucks of ice rink snow, and then you can make your pattern. Only you do it kind of in reverse. You, you make the pattern out of the snow. Right, right. Yeah. The, uh, which which kind of goes to a, a discussion that we often have is, you know, ice diving for a class and to meet standards is often difficult to do for a lot of people just that want to go do an ice dive on a general basis. And there's often a talk of like advanced ice diving techniques where, you know, because typically to do an ice dive, you know, there's all that surface stuff that's supposed to be required. Manpower intensive. Yeah. Shoveling the, the navigational markers into the surface, six people on the surface so that two people can basically get into the water. Right. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. It's a major operation, in the sense major. of you're not just throwing your your gear in the car and running off for a dive. You know, you're gonna you're gonna work first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and even if uh, you know you and I have a line, it's you know it's different than being tendered. Right. Are you saying the way the way we uh, do an ice dive in our local lakes where we're that we're familiar with and. Well, there is a there is that where you you talk about like the the breaking like the breaking of standard out at Union, right? Of just following lines. We do. We, I mean, we're not tethered, well, no, yeah, yeah. right? But we we run a line. We run it like a cave dive. So there's a a continuous line that exits the water that you follow, and then we tie that continuous line into lines we've already um, installed. Uh, throughout the lake down there that go to different little attractions at our local training site. So, yeah, we just, that's what I'm talking about is running a, an ice dive, like a cave dive. Because although they're two entirely different environments, they do share the overhead aspect of diving. Yeah, but just like overhead in a cave is different from an overhead in a shipwreck. Right. Overhead in a ice dive out of the middle of a lake is a whole nother game of overhead environment 
Yeah, it is. Versus overhead under the ice from a known location off of shore is different from a ice dive out in the middle of a of a of a lake right. where you have no you know natural features to follow. And like in a river where the water's moving creates a whole new and different Well, diving in a river with a current under the ice. Yeah, that's a that's a whole different ball game. A whole different a slew of hazards that have to be taken into consideration. But yeah, even I mean even taking a an ice dive in the middle of uh of a lake say not from the shore and and running it like a cave dive, it's difficult. The advantage of going towards a known shore location is that it kind of funnels you there, especially if you're using, you can use compass coordinates a lot better. You don't have to be as exact. And yeah, the natural features, the natural uh, terrain will kind of funnel you towards the exit. So that's helpful. But, But yeah, they all have their own hazards, their dynamics of the hazards and the dynamics of the environment that you have to take into consideration when you're ice diving. Yeah. And when you look at, uh, you know, your typical ice diving class, which, which is a really good class, you know, really from any of the agencies out there to, to get you some experience with, with ice diving in general, there's really, uh, you know, an emerging opportunity for some advanced level training to, to be written. You know, when, when you look at, where people want to take ice diving after the, you know, they, they get that basics, you know, where, where you're, you know, limited to the size of that hole. And, and you see so often where people go outside of that. And for perfect example, I've, I've got an interesting story here from a Coast Guard fatality uh, a few years back, Brando. Coast Guard ice diving fatality. Is it a U.S. Coast Guard or Canadian Coast Guard? Uh, this was a U.S. Coast Guard. Okay, okay. So as I was looking up ice stories, there was an interesting one that I kept coming across from about 15 years ago about the mysterious death of a couple of divers diving up in the Arctic. They were on the Coast Guard cutter Healy. And I've got a story from the Seattle Times that talks about this, saying that 500 miles north of Alaska... A group of shipmates from the Coast Guard Cutter Healy tossed a football on the blue and white diamond hard Arctic ice. And a couple of the others were walking around on the ice and snapping some photos and getting a little uh, stretch of the old legs on a on a two-hour break that they had after being on board the ship for like a month. This was written out of uh, the Associated Press. It's written by Gene Johnson. He says that Lieutenant Jessica Hill and boatswain's mate Stephen Duke seized the chance for a training dive and slipped into a patch of open water near the Healy's bow. A team held ropes attached to the divers, lest they become disoriented under the ice, and several research scientists watched from the deck. What was their mission? What were they going under again for? These two were just going for fun. Like they had uh, the, the boated, the boated anchored. They had a couple hour break. They had a bunch of research scientists on board uh, doing some studying up there that the Coast Guard was basically um, you know, guiding them up there. And these two decided to do a little dive. Now, he says that no one knows what happened, but it was a 
beautiful summer day and under the ice, under that cold, cold water, um, both of those divers ended up dying. Now, he says that the Coast Guard started up two investigations. They ended up relieving the Healy's captain. They pulled all diving equipment off the ship and suspended all polar diving after this incident. But nothing had been said about what might have actually killed the two divers, Hill, who was 31, and Duke, who was 22. Hill's father, William Hill Jr., mentioned to the uh, Associated Press there that we can get no word whatsoever that they can't, couldn't even get death certificates on his son. Classified, sir. Yeah. Well, that's all they have to do is stamp, take that little rubber stamper out, and, and nobody knows nothing anymore. This is the Area 51 of scuba diving. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a lot more than Area 51 classified, but yeah, it's crazy. Now, he um, says here that the Healy was on a research mission backed by the National Science Foundation. And on board were three dozen scientists collecting data that would help them map the ocean floor and study the Earth's crust to better understand earthquakes and tsunamis and plate tectonics. Hill, the ship's marine science officer and a native of St. Augustine, Florida, was an experienced civilian diver before she had joined the Coast Guard about four years ago. And her shipmates described her as a fun-loving officer who, during the trip to the North Pole last year, posed on the ice in a bikini by a red and white striped pole. What year did this go on? This is before the. This is when the military was fun. It looks like it sounds yeah, like was, anyway. Uh, yeah, this was early two thousands. Yeah, those were the days, man. I didn't even know they had military Coast Guard military issued bikinis. Oh, they do. <laughs> I've got one. <laughs> I'm wearing it right now. Uh, they mentioned that the other one, Duke, whose responsibilities included keeping the the decks in order and operating machinery and driving launch boats was also from Florida, but Miami area. But his colleague said that he was an exceedingly professional and inspired others to always take their jobs very seriously. Both of them had had um, attended the Navy's diving school, which is required by all Coast Guard divers to go through U.S. Navy diving school and pass, yeah. They were underwater for about 10 minutes, and something appeared to go wrong. Appeared, eh? Well, I mean, are we? Are you going to get into like they were wearing sixty pounds of lead? One diver had sixty pounds of lead on. Are you going to talk about that or no? They they went through U.S. <laughs> Navy diving school, Brandon. Well, maybe that's to get them in shape. As you wear twice the amount or three times, they're saying twice the amount of normal weight. I'm I'm still like thirty pounds. That's yeah. Although this is salt water too, right? Yeah, they're up in the yeah they're up in the Arctic because the water's like twenty seven degrees, so it's below freezing. Now, one of the researchers from the University of Texas said that I saw people from the bow looking intently down on the ice, and I sensed immediately that they didn't look relaxed. It was taking a long time for the divers to reappear. In a blur, the crew's training took over. Several witnesses had said. The divers were pulled up by ropes. Blankets and stretchers were rushed into the ice, and EMTs immediately began performing CPR. The divers were carried by the ship's sickbay, 
were there, were pronounced dead roughly two hours after the dive. That's a long time. Maybe they were they frozen? You know, when hypothermia sets in in an emergency medical situation, normally you're dead. If you've been dead for like 15, 20 minutes, they're not going to go and keep trying to bring you back. But if you go under the ice and you're hypothermic, you know, you can be technically dead for a while. But because of the hypothermia, they can bring you back. So they keep trying and trying. So maybe that's the two hours before they get pronounced dead. Do they talk about that? Are you like, why do you bring this shit up? This this is just non sequitur bullshit. It's uh, it's it's been a while since uh, it's been a while since we did uh, did it this way. But no, no, it, um, no, they did say that these people were all very well trained. Every time that they did something on the boat, there was always a safety briefing. Well, they're not going to talk ill of the dead. First of all, everything, but right, every accident right. is like this guy was the best. He's the best of the best. This gal was the best of the best. I don't know how it could happen. Every single one. None of them would start out like, he was a doofus. He, he was uh, uh, he a candidate for- He this years ago. Yeah. You, you never hear that. He was a candidate for the Darwin Award before he even jumped in the ice. Nobody ever starts out like that. So everybody is, yes, the most highly trained and most professional and knew everything about the entire operation. Well, one of the guys on the on the boat was a- was a teacher from Wisconsin. Hey, along these lines, like if I ever go diving, here's what I want. I want the headline, the headline to say, he done fucked up. He done <laughs> fucked up, right? And that's all it is. And then people start reading. It's like, I don't want to hear, oh, he was the most perfect. He, he knew all this stuff. He was a diver of a diver. I just wanted to say, he done fucked up. And he, he, he paid the price. He done fucked up. <laughs> Idiot instructor <laughs> finally bites the big one. He, he was always cutting corners. He never did anything right. Surprised he lasted this long are the quotes from all his friends. Quote, unquote, friends. Oh, I think he should have been dead a decade ago. Longtime dive buddy and podcasting partner James Mott says, I thought he died years ago. <laughs> you mean he's not dead? He was washed up a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, so this uh, this high school teacher was videotaping the whole thing, he said. And he said there was an accident that was completely unforeseen. Now, according to the Coast Guard protocol, they would have created a dive profile detailing who was diving, how far, how far down they were going, how long they would spend at various depths. And I think that's what you mean by, like, that would be totally out of the ordinary for a military operation. Like, you're not just going to go add in some fun diving. Right, exactly. So and that's kind of what I'm getting at is every dive, I mean, there's paperwork you fill out with your dive plan, and it's very detailed, the dive plan. Like, to the seconds, it's manpower intensive. It's not like a spur of the moment. Let's go jump in under the ice. Right. And he says here that this is probably why the captain was relieved of his command uh, less than two weeks later. He said that there were no such plans drawn up by the diving safety officer whatsoever. Oh, he done fucked up. So the captain is paying the price that the DSO done effed up. Right, right. 
Now, he says here that the only signs of the tragedy during a recent tour of the ship were a grief counseling pamphlet on the table in the scientist's lounge and the locked and empty room where the dive equipment was stored. The equipment was shipped to the Navy's dive school in Panama City, Florida for examination. And one Coast Guard investigation is focusing on the root cause in hopes of preventing future accidents. The other is a broader administrative investigation that could result in findings of responsibility. I know we'll have to look more into it, but if you're wearing 60 pounds, my guess is the tender mistook the uh, line pole signals and just gave them line and they just sank. 60 uh, pounds of lead. Hang on. I, you, yeah, wait till you hear what I got next. So hold that thought for a second. One of the investigators mentions here that this accident and these two fatalities were the first Coast Guard divers to die since the 1970s. And the Coast Guard described the dive as routine, but any dive in frigid waters beneath four feet thick of ice can pose very serious dangers, they say. The cold, as uh, you and I know, can numb the extremities. Divers typically wear dry suits. Such suits, they say, can balloon during ascents as pressure decreases. If the diver doesn't release the air quickly enough, he or she can shoot to the surface, crash into the ice. He says they also must use equipment that can handle the cold, such as breathing regulators outfitted with rubberized covers to prevent freezing. And the deaths were hard on the Healy's crew of 75, said by Ensign Stephen Elliott, who is a part of the ice diving support team that day. It says here that these are people you watch movies with, eat with, and joke around with. It's hard to explain to someone who doesn't live on the ship what it's like to be a shipmate. They were incredible shipmates. And that was in the Seattle Times, um, reprinted from the Associated Press by a Gene Johnson. Now, as I was looking up these stories, I finally ro rolled across a journal of maritime uh, industry called the Professional Mariner that has an article titled Coast Guard Report Cites Long List of Mistakes That Led to the Deaths of Divers from an Icebreaker from uh, about two years later. Yeah, even just on its face reading the incident, it's uh, troubling. Right, for two divers to, yeah, for two divers to do a little dive and, you know, on a crew with a, with a crew of seventy five and another thirty thirty passengers science science passengers you know on the boat working I mean you got a hundred people on that boat and uh, we lose two people. This is kind of what goes to that false sense of security. A lot of people believe, oh, I'm tendered. What could go wrong? Well, when we hear the rest of the story, which I've kind of read ahead a little bit, it's a little crazy. It's a little like I don't know. You look at it and just scratch your head. Why? I don't understand why. And again, like this, this comes up a lot in our show of cutting little corners, that normalization of deviance. We're just doing a quick little dive. You know, why go through the whole entire procedure? Nobody's even going to know that we dove up here. We're just going to do a, do a quick get in and go. Well, in this report, they say that a series of mistakes in leadership, training, and judgment led to the deaths of two U.S. Coast Guard divers from the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Healy during a dive under the ice 500 miles northwest of Barrow, Alaska. The vessel's 
three top officers were found to be in dereliction of duty at an admiral's mast held on January 11th. The commanding officer and operations officer received letters of reprimand. The executive officer received a letter of domination. Pay forfeitures for the commanding officer and operations officers were suspended. Hmm. I guess they don't want this to happen again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. hell, Hell was to pay, yeah. Since these deaths, the Coast Guard has suspended all polar diving without prior approval from the Pacific Area Command. And uh, goes on to explain that, uh, you know, Hill and Duke died during a cold water dive from the Healy, a 420-foot icebreaker that had been on a research mission and stopped for the first time in a month on that day. And both of them died of asphyxia and injuries caused by the expansion of air held in their lungs while they ascended. Which is different for, right, for most ice divers are getting under the ice to to see the ice. I mean, a lot of, a lot of times on an ice dive, Brando, are, you're depth gauge isn't even on and registered because you're in inches of water right i mean and and you only have so much line to pay out that's the other thing when we run a you know a recreational ice diving class you've got 100 feet of line right and so you're going no further than 100 feet from that hole number one that's to include depth and scope so this one's a little Obviously, a little different, <laughs> and the, I guess it also highlights the need for uh, training uh, the line tenders. The line tender is more than just the person, just with their hands on a line to pull you back in. They they do more than that, right? Which is what you hear people that are doing, you know, ice dives, and you know, you and I want to go just do an ice dive. It's so easy to want to say, well, it's, we're not going to be able to get six people together. <laughs> so the two of us will go. Look at look at this drunk guy just got done ice yeah. fishing. Let's have him, hey, just tend the line. I mean, how hard can it be? Right. Tend the line. But like what you're saying is, no, that's a real job with, with a real um, focus of attention that that person needs to have on that job. Yeah, it's a, a real responsibility. And it could be said that these tenders and this incident – are more directly responsible for the for the deaths of these divers than almost anyone, except for the divers themselves. Well, they say that the Coast Guard report on the Healy investigation highlighted oversight failures at every level and numerous departures from standard policy, a combination of shortcomings and, quote-unquote, a lengthy error chain meant the accident was not prevented. But no single person caused it, according to Vice Admiral Charles Wooster's statement. The report depicted a poorly planned and executed dive, which took place while many of the crew members were drinking beer and hard lemonade and playing football as part of the approved liberty. So you got two hours off. Let's go have some brewskis. We are <laughs> we are up uh, in the Arctic. A little bit of brewskis. A little bit of uh, throw the old pigskin around. Why not? I mean, I got two hours. Uh, two hours of leave. That's like a typical military remote location activity, right there. You get stuck out in the middle of nowhere, and you are the only humans for a thousand miles. Yeah, you. 
you pull out the football, you you have some fun. Have a few cocktails. It's not unheard of. It's not unheard of. Hard lemonade. (laughs) Some hard. I know back in back in your uh, military days, uh, you were California coolers. California coolers, man. (laughs) You haven't heard that one for a while. No, no, that was like uh, pre Zima. There, yeah, Zima. There's one that was a very short lived little fad. Or is it still out there? I think they brought it back recently. It was. It went away for a while, and then with the as the the current white. Claw white seltzer craze is going on. I think it, it truly uh, you know, it is. Came, it truly, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the the seltzer craze that's out there. And and does and does every single manufacturer of an alcoholic beverage have to have their own version of a goddamn white claw nowadays? Like just. Oh yeah, of course they do. So, anyways, um, it says here that those involved in liberty wandered in and out of the dive site, which was about 60 feet forward of he- of the Healy's bow. The dive area was not cordoned off as required by the Navy diving manual. There was no dive log, no time kept at the dive site, and the Navy dive manual was not at site contrary to regulations. They done fucked up right there, all of that. <laughs> I mean, I've got my little Navy dive manual that I carry with me everywhere. Right, I mean, I mean, in an in an actual operation, you know, and you're required to have all this procedure mm-hmm. for for the very fact of having the safety of everyone involved. You know, it would it would be like going to, you know, uh, doing an ice diving class, and then going, you know what. That's going to be a lot of work. We're, we're, gonna, we're just going to run it like a cave dive. You yeah, guys just, just take this reel and go. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I, don't, I wouldn't even compare it to that. I think it's way more blatantly neglectful than, than that. Every time you, you, know, you tell us another um, ingredient to this incident, I just go, what the hell? This is almost like, oh, we happen to have this dive gear. There's an ocean here underneath this ice. <laughs> what could it hurt? Jump in. Right. Well, I think that's kind of what it is, right? I mean, you've got two divers who are have gone through the U.S. Navy diving school. They are Coast Guard divers. I mean, they're not just, hey, you know, when, you know, before I went into the military, you know, on my spring break, you know, we, we did a Discover Scuba. Let's go do this ice dive up here. I, I think, you know, a couple of the guys are going to go throw the football around a, a couple of the, the the people on the boat are going to go take some pictures of the the cool stuff on the surface the panoramic views and a couple of the divers are like hey let's get a little dive in and I, I think maybe there was I mean this is very much speculation on my part but it's it's not an official dive we've got two hours of leave just monitor the line for us you know we're gonna go have some fun we'll be back in a half hour. You know, ah, we're not going to make a, an official dive out of this. Yes. I mean, that's going to be a bunch of paperwork. Let's just, it's gonna be, we're just going to go. Yeah. Go for fun. We don't have to do the paperwork. I don't I don't think you can do that in that operation. As a matter of fact, I'm not the commander there or captain on board. <laughs> not, anymore. You, not anymore. You I don't can't. think you that's could do it before thing. that even. it's. I, I'm guessing the commander or the captain had no idea about diving operations, which they should if they're a captain. Right. I, you know, I'm reading this on on uh, on Hill, and she only had 24 dives to her name. 
24 dives, and that's after Navy dive school. And I guess what I'm highlighting right here is, hey, just because you've, you've made it through Navy dive school does not mean you're a guru. You're not that experienced. What you've done is you've passed a physically demanding dive training program. That is what you've done. Physically demanding, and I'm going to guess it's somewhat academically demanding. Most military schools, like even, you know, like I said, I went through medic training. We had to score in the 90s on every test or the test didn't count. You get one chance to redo and then you wash out. Wait, are you saying that regardless of how high of a level of training that you've taken and how well you did in passing the high level of training when you've... When you finish it, you're still a beginner and you got to get some experience. They finished U.S. Navy basic dive training, which is it's definitely not equivalent to like your recreational open water diving. But it is in many respects. They don't train you. Yeah, to dive because uh, yeah, because you just finished the you just finished the class. You still got to you still got to get out on operations and you still got to get out on dives and you still got to get experience and you still have to make it innate in yourself. Because you're still new and you're still learning. You still have a ton to learn and you and experience is a huge teacher. Right, which is why we've got, you know, we've got that ice dive coming up on the KUKA in another uh, month and a half. And we've got people that are coming up that want to go do fun dives, but they want them to be guided because the only ice diving that they've done is the dives they did in their class. So it's nice to hear from people that are willing to say, hey, I'm certified, but I'm still brand new. <laughs> Yes, I don't have the experience. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> and they realize, yeah, yeah, right. You know, and it's nice to go get that experience under the supervision of experienced and trained people and qualified people. And ultimately, that's what I'm getting at is they're looking at this like, wow, two U.S. Navy dive program trained people uh, died diving under the ice. Well, they don't train you to dive under the ice. <laughs> okay. that That's not part of the operation. That's not part of the program. And... I don't think anybody else there was trained in ice diving operations. Well, let's take a look how well they uh, how well they may or may not have been trained. Is um, you, you got access to the Navy manual there about the ice diving operations? Um, I do. Okay, yeah. What does it does it does it say how many six packs of beer you're supposed to have uh, as a tender? Uh, in a month or on on the day before. They they have a matrix of time time leading up to the dive. It's saying minimal minimal of that week. Minimal. What's the minimum of number of white claws you're supposed to have before a ice diving tendering operation? Nine, nine. <laughs> the dive tender responsible for Hill drank one beer before the dive. It says. Another dive tender assigned to conduct equipment checks uh, and uh, clip on Hill's tending line drank three beers. Hey, I, I, I do want to point out in the Navy dive manual, okay? The Navy dive manual, it says right here, the, tra- the, the procedures outlined here in the Navy dive manual are uh, for diving under slash near the ice cover or in water at or below a temperature of 37 degrees Fahrenheit. This water was 10 degrees colder. Colder than that, right. yeah. So that, because it's salt water. Yeah, it requires yeah. You know, special considerations to be taken with your equipment. Regulators, you know, your inflators on your BCD, your dry suit inflators, you know, everything is put to the test in water that cold. Everything. 
Which uh, so what you're saying is that's why the the tenders are drinking the beer because because it's so much colder they need to stay warm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, the actual beer now, is warmer than the water. Yeah, exactly. Now it says that the rule for the ship's liberty is two beers per person, but no record was kept of how much alcohol was distributed or who actually drank it. But Danny Wilson set a record that night <laughs> before, <laughs> the night before, with he shotgunned 18 beers in 12 minutes. <laughs> now, Ensign, now is that Ensign like, Danny Wilson. <laughs> He's in the book. Is that like the classic, um, you know, I'm going out for a beer, honey? <laughs> <laughs> 37 which beers is, later which is which is like three or four and then like well we're gonna we had a, a couple of beers which is five or six versus we had a, no we had we're gonna have a few which is 12 one or two means six a few means nine to 12 and a couple is like a case i think that's i think that's the uh relationship so Hill made a mistake in telling the four dive tenders the line pull signals just before the dive. So that's one of the divers telling what appears to be a makeshift line tender. Yeah. Here's you a know, quick, the, the here's, a quick uh, here's the signals. <laughs> All right. One, one pull is always. No, wait, wait. One pull is never. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. So I can. When you talk about line tending and pulling, and, and I bring this up when we teach the ice diving class because the ice diving class per the, per the um, guidelines or per the standards that we teach through is completely different pull signals than, say, the U.S. Navy or commercial diving operations. And there was a big – like it's a big um, section of learning in commercial dive school. We had to – all the, all the line, the line signals, signals I can imagine. Right. We had to put the the helmets on, the heavy helmets, not the light super lights out, and go out in the parking lot. So we had to put like a Swindell or Divex or the uh, Air Hats, which weigh probably 20 pounds, 25 pounds in between there, on your head and black them out so you can't see and go out into the parking lot with tended lines and this was all about teaching you line pull signals and how to how to give them to the tender and how the tender should react. And yeah, I mean, and, and that's there's and I'm you're talking turn left, turn right. Well, we never come, uh, we never did anything like that. It was more about give me line, take up line, take me back up, uh, send send down tools, send you know. You right, can send yeah, shit but down. my point being yeah. is there's there's a yes, ton of line, line signals, communication right. to learn more so right. than like I did my one ice diving class and we learned okay and give me more line and get me out of here. Right, which kind of if you keep it simple, that may work to your advantage. You don't need a lot of complicated communication. Like take me up, give me a little bit more line, take some line up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you though. Like, uh, especially for people learning ice diving, I mean, that's all you need to know. I need more line. I'm okay, or are you okay? And pull me in. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I can just remember though, the thing about it was getting a feel for the line pulling and the signals, and not how to discern from just a, an accidental bump. bump on the line from a, yeah, a real yeah. pull. So the the divers had to be trained. We the divers 
had to be trained to really make your poles very distinctive and you make them so you're like not mumbling underwater, right? You get, you exactly. Get speak, speak clearly. Right. Yeah, I'm, oh, and you speak clearly with that line management. And that's something that a line tender needs to know. It, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of focused attention on that line for sure. Now, we just mentioned that you know, there's there's basically three signals that you need to know for basic ice diving procedures. But the diver hill had goofed up the four <laughs> signals. And I think the fourth one was the uh, I need a beer signal. <laughs> you and this I need a beer. <laughs> well, hey, listen, in defense of these guys having the beers and all that stuff, I mean, they make a big deal out of it. But, you know, spending 14 years in the service and I, I, I'm going to guess – Many of my veteran listeners are going to chime in and go, listen, going out and living hard (laughs) is part of the daily routine. You would be, if I told you the truth of what goes on or what went on when I was in, your jaw would drop about how many things that are happening while the night before you were doing shots. And Did you order the code red? (laughs) Oh, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> so listen, um, they goofed up the tender signals. Yeah, not not right, hard he said, to do. Uh, Hill, Hill told the tender that one pull during the descent means okay. And they mentioned here that by U.S. Navy dive manual standard, the one pull during the descent by the diver or tender means to stop instead of okay. It was an informal briefing about the signals. Uh, there was no checklist and no assessment uh, to take into account any of the risk that was going on. They mentioned here that three divers were at the ice's edge at about 18.04. All divers wore a single tank with 100 cubic feet of air at standard temperatures and pressures, which meant they had no backup scuba equipment in the case of an emergency, contrary to Navy dive regulations. Now, maybe most telling is they say here that Hill and Duke both wore split fins, which are designed for speed and provide minimal thrust. But they had their snorkels to kind of counteract the split fins. <laughs> now, this is, one, this is one that you'll like. None of the divers wore weight belts as required which allow for getting rid of weight in an emergency. And two had more weight than was needed for their body sizes. There was no diving supervisor or standby diver on the surface. Due to technical problems, the third diver left. Duke complained of cold hands and glove problems, so he and Hill changed the signal for okay for making a circle with the thumb and the fingers to a thumbs up sign. What? <laughs> I know it's a little thing. It's a little I mean hey. but my I'm I'm trying to get my head wrapped around this one. So I guess this is just more example of what I was saying is hey, just because you graduated from a a tough dive training program doesn't mean it's the greatest dive training program in the world as far as learning why you do what you do you know it's more like you'll yeah. do this and you'll be in good shape and you'll you'll be comfortable in the water and you'll know how to use this gear this basic set of gear but that's about it that's where you draw the line yeah and after graduation you're still a beginner well yeah hell yes 
yes, you're a beginner. And 24 dives is, I don't care what program you graduated from, 24 dives is not much experience. I've got... I've got 24 dives in. I want to run this by. I've had a class my, with 24 uh, dives. My elbow, a cl- my elbow's class. a little sore and cold, Randall. And I know the typical out of air sign is this big slashing at the throat. But how about we just do this okay signal instead for this dive? <laughs> That's crazy. So the dive plan specified that on the first dive, the divers would go to 20 feet. Shortly after the divers submerged, the tenders could not see them. And as Hill descended, her dive tender gave several signal pulls, which she thought was asking Hill if she was okay. He felt a single pull after each of his pulls, which he thought was Hill confirming that she was okay. Yeah, miscommunication. <laughs> I thought you were okay. You said you were okay. Right. I mean, uh, I mean... That's everything of scuba. Like the this is why the OK signal is a rough, rough signal to trust. Well, and here's my here's another thing just to take into consideration. Out of all of the different uh, protocol for line tending poles, the signals that I've I've had to go through, I keep learning different ones every time I we, we do ice diving or whatever. All of them have one thing and one signal in common, which is the pull me up right away. Pull me, get me the fuck out of here signal, which is just pull, 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 yank, 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 right? Yeah. If you start feeling the line getting yank, 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 I gave you the raspberry white claw <laughs> signal. You sent me down a lemon lime. What the hell is this shit? Oh, here we go. <laughs> now, Hills Tender observed that both divers' lines played out really quickly. And when he saw her line was close to playing out, he stepped on it. The, the step on the line to, to play out completely. About two to three minutes after the divers submerged, Duke's tender noticed the line out, sped out forcefully. At about 1835, the third diver returned and saw the tenders were concerned. They said that there had been no pulls recently. Everything, everything is A-OK. Hey, toss me another brewski. <laughs> Everything's fine. I'm standing on the line. I'm standing on the line. I'll, I'll be able to feel it through my boots and my fo- frozen toes if there's any, any uh, concern down there. A senior crew member nearby recommended the divers be retrieved. Finally, at 1845, the tenders began to pull up the divers. And when they came into view at 40 feet, both of them appeared unconscious. Attempts to resuscitate them were unsuccessful. And according to their depth gauges... Hill descended to 187 feet, and Duke went to about 220. It is likely that both divers lost consciousness before or during the ascent, according to the report. Duke's air tank was depleted, and Hill's pressure was so low, it was essentially empty. Well, Duke won the contest there. 220, 187? Gotcha. Nailed it. Nailed it. Don't you ever get tired of diving with that one guy that, you know, you're diving and you're doing a deep dive and they've got a 
They've got to stick their hand in the mud just to get you. Just to get yeah, that one, one, foot, one deeper. foot deeper. Son of a bitch. That's how Duke was. I'll bet that's what his buddies will say. So, yeah, there you go. Um, talk about a series of mistakes in leadership, training, and judgment, like they mentioned at the beginning of this article. Um, listen, we know that having some beers and groups of divers are, are not things that don't go well together. But there's a separation. But generally, <laughs> there's, a, there's a line of separation, yeah. right, of... Okay, we're diving. Uh, let's uh, let's wait on cracking the cold ones until the diving is done. And then, if you're going to do an operation, you've you've got to do it right. You can't half-ass the 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 safety protocols that you know, especially in an environment like like the ice, where you don't have the luxury of just coming up to the surface. And then, now we don't really know why they decided to just plummet and go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper we don't know if it was an equipment issue that led them to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper or if they were just hell-bent on going deeper and deeper themselves yeah here's my guess they each had 60 plus pounds now that's that you came across in i came across what report was that one on i came across in every report that i saw here was uh here's the one in this is this Seattle Times, uh, according to the Coast Guard's investigation released Friday, the dive's untrained support team, obviously some of whom had been drinking beer moments before, misinterpreted Hill and Duke, blah, blah, blah. Dive equipment, which had not been inspected for years, failed. Hill and Duke made a critical error in carrying 60 pounds of lead weight and then twice as much as normal. And all this happened after uh, alcohol and ice football, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, what I'm getting at is they each had 60 pounds. That's one. In, in every story I've seen was 60 pounds. The Popular Mechanics, has a, they've got an um, article about this incident. And in order to avoid ascending too quickly, divers often carry extra weight. Hill and Duke each loaded up with an additional 62 pounds. That's according to Popular Mechanics article. Yikes. I don't know the diver that needs 62 pounds on, even if it is salt water. Right. Even if it is salt water. At 27 degrees. Which is going to make you more buoyant, yeah. and, and you're maybe way overloaded with, with undergarments to try to stay as warm as possible. Still, 62 pounds is a ton, a ton of lead. And what they're saying there, you know, I, I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I, I heard that backwards logic of uh, I'm going to wear extra weight so that I don't come up as fast to, to help slow me down on my ascent, you, the, the extra weight is going to actually do the opposite, most likely, because <laughs> yes. you've got to have so much extra air in, in your buoyancy control in order to keep from plummeting yeah. that that's so much more air that's going to expand upon a set. Very unstable. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's an, uh, a bass backwards way to look at things. And so we look at this. They have 62 pounds of additional weight each. Then you said it now, was now. Wait, can non- you uh, can you say that again? Are you saying sixty two pounds of additional weight on top of what they actually needed to wear, or sixty two pounds? Total? No, this is quoted. Hill and Duke each loaded up with an additional 
62 pounds on top of carrying on top of carrying well now weight. well now we know why we they went straight to the 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 200 feet well i mean when you look at this if you just take it apart kind of bit by bit the equipment hasn't been serviced they haven't checked it out they're jumping in with it under the ice no weight belt so this weight is somehow attached to them in a manner that is not not ditchable, not ditchable in some way or if it is ditchable it's not a weight belt ditchable system and they did not find the divers with their weights ditched, you know, missing their weights. They still had all of their equipment on. So when you look at this, you're like, yeah, you jump in the water. How can you even float with that much weight on? Right. So you're, you're sitting there, you just go down and they, they just let the line go out. See you later. And you're, you're trying to breathe. I want you to imagine this. You're, You're on air. The original dive plan was 20 feet, right? You're on air and you're going into the 200 foot range. The air's super dense. You're kicking. I'm sure you're just kicking like a mother. And you're trying to inflate your. No, suit. that was a, that was an okay signal. Yeah, that was, <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that was. You don't even know if the regulators free flowed and all their gas went out. You have no idea. We have no idea what went on. All that they were out of gas and they died from lung overexpansion injuries, which I would attribute to bringing them back up after they. D- nearly sure, drowned yeah. underwater or drowned underwater. Or maybe they did, you know, run out of gas or completely CO2 tox themselves. Yes, lost their Into regs. just, uh, you know, passing out and then getting pulled to the surface from 200 feet. Laryngospasm will lock well, they off stopped, your, uh, yeah. yeah, right, right. Just looking at aspects of the dive. That right there is real easy to figure out, well, this might have happened, this might happen. And I guess that's all you can do because we weren't there. But if we were to take a Gareth... Gareth Ike um, human factors approach to looking at this. What would you say? Well, you start to see very quickly, you know, looking back all the way back at the beginning and, you know, why I think these uh, commanding officers were relieved of duty is it wasn't an ice dive that went bad. It was, it started from you got two hours of liberty, go do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, and then it went, it, you see it go downhill from there, right? Yeah. The the unserviced equipment. Let's hurry up and get a dive in. Let's finish these beers first. We don't have anybody to tend the line. That guy's uh, you know almost finishing the six pack. Get him. He'll uh, he needs to take a break. <laughs> you know, you see the the litany of of issues that are being made. And I guess this this we can bring this back to how easy it is for people you know, to want to do an ice dive just, you know, as recreational ice divers and knowing that, uh, you know, by, you know, by standards, we're supposed to have six people, but yeah, we can just follow our own little line. We've been here before. You know, or, you know, the, we'll have the, the safety divers be the tenders or we'll, we'll <laughs> negate. How does that work? <laughs> How does that work in an emergency? <laughs> right, right. Well, that's the thing is like so, so much of the, you know, the thinking out there quickly goes from, I learned how to do something the right way. All right, well, now the likelihood of something going wrong is so unlikely. What's the bare minimum that I need to do so that we can go just get a little fun diving? Because it'll be fine. Yeah, the cut in the corners and, and um, yeah, right from the very beginning where the decision was made to allow this, that was probably the biggest mistake right there. <laughs> you know, you didn't have the proper 
the proper experience, the proper training, the proper manpower, the proper equipment. And I keep using that word proper, but when you say in your mind, what could go wrong and you can't imagine something like this, there's a problem. Yeah. And when the answer to any diving operation is throw another 60 pounds at it, you should step back and re-examine what the question actually is or what the problem is. It's adding another 62 pounds to the to the situation is rarely going to be a good decision. Right. So you look at this and I, I would say, you know, we try to go into the um, just culture thing and bringing punishment against people for admitting their mistakes. <laughs> We're trying to get away from that, I guess. But I mean, how do you, how do you rectify that with like, man, there's some blatantly piss poor decision-making things going on here how do you rectify with that well where did his commanding officers idea that this was a good idea to go diving come from where did his cutting the corners come from yeah there's there's no telling that i mean that that's ultimately what got him into this is letting them go without following any protocol like they were supposed to you know and i and i think it, it you know it's it's a matter of hey you know we're up here for two hours what could possibly go wrong? Sure, go do a quick little dive. We'll keep it off the books, you know. And there's provided your, you, you know, live. One of your, provided you live, right? We'll there's keep it one off of the your books. first mistakes, and and who knows, you know, that because maybe the commanding officer just wanted to go throw the football around. Yeah, you guys go do whatever the hell you want. I just, I'm just dying to throw a football. I doubt, I or, doubt that you don't, you don't get to be a captain and command an Antarctic vessel from being a moron, from being an idiot and cutting corners usually. Usually you get it from the opposite. You, you've you uh, been outstanding in your field. So, Right, yeah, yeah. So, But something happened to, to let it all go. Well, I think it's an underappreciation for the risks involved with ice diving and diving in particular. I, when I would 100% agree with you there, right? Uh, we don't need all the rules that we're supposed to have. Um, we'll just assume that the, the, the equipment's going to work fine. We'll assume that the gas is all the way on, that there won't be a free flow. We'll just assume that we'll make it back to the surface. We'll just assume that, you know, we'll, you know, our signals will be clear. You know what they say about assume? Damn straight. I do. What is it? I assume we're going to get in a white claw after the dive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that would be you making an ass of both of us now, wouldn't it? (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, hey, listen, um, that was an icebreaker of a dive right there, man. Uh, Those of you who are going to be out doing some ice diving this year, remember, those rules are put in place for a reason. Make sure you've got those safety divers. Make sure you have those line tenders. Make sure you follow the rules when you're out ice diving. And maybe uh, you guys should... uh, Think about coming up to see us up on Lake Charlevoix this year, diving up on the Kook. Right. For those of you that don't know, the Kooka is a really cool shipwreck. We've posted some pictures on Facebook and Twitter, and maybe I'll throw some on Instagram. But it's in Lake Charlevoix, which joins in with Lake Michigan. And Lake Charlevoix used to be like a little place for the ships traveling the Great Lakes to come in and get safe harbor kind of thing. Um, and the Kuka is kind of a cool ship. It's got an interesting background. It's 
but about 130 foot, 125 foot long in between there somewhere. And yeah, so it's a uh, nice size shipwreck. It's a nice size ship. It's about 50 feet of water to the mud, but the deck you hit in about 20 ish. And visibility every year we've gone stellar, outstanding, stellar, incredible. Yeah, and you're on. You're on an actual shipwreck. It's not like you're like on a little speedboat, yes. you know, at the quarry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, you're on a real shipwreck. It's pretty cool. It's it nice. A- I mean, it is. I uh, this is the premier ice dive that exists on planet Earth. It's a shipwreck ice dive. It, it, it doesn't get any better. If you are going to take an ice diving class, if you are going to, uh, you know, partake in ice diving this winter this is a place that should be on your i must do list and it's a great place to run a class i mean we said that the first time we dove it or dived it is it would be great to run a class here because it's in the perfect depth it's something cool to see the visibility is spectacular all the cool things of ice diving are there and you got got that really interesting attraction underwater which produces some incredible video and and still images yeah, so if you guys uh, want to join us, hit us up on email or Facebook or something and uh, get in touch. We'll be up there the 26th and 27th of February this year. I think this story also, not to go back to the story, but I'm going to, it outlines the need for that knowledge of the very basics, and in this particular case, a balanced rig, no matter where you're at. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think this story hit a lot of the points that we make all the time on our show and that is those basic skills of being a good diver what what are the essentials of good diving our buoyancy balance and trim and and these divers had none of that which well because they didn't have the very basic component of proper weighting yeah there you go i'm with you and and uh, it, it it's something that we preach a lot of most dive education is so focused on moving as fast as possible to the next advanced level of all the advanced things that you need to have to dive at that next high level, deeper level, technical level, whatever. And everybody just rushes right over the the core fundamentals of being a proper diver and, and with the assumption that ah, that'll just eventually come down the road. Instead of doing what, what we try to do is if you want to be a good, comfortable, and confident diver on the water, that stuff's got to be perfect first and then add the others. Agreed. So on that note. On that note, hey, safe uh, ice diving uh, divers. Um, let's sign these logbooks, Brando. Could you uh, toss shout. me uh, one of those uh, citrus uh, white claws there? Here you go. Crack. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Hey, this is a truly, wait a minute, this is not a white call, this is a truly. All right, everybody, we will talk to you next week. Safe diving, folks.
Bye. <laughs>